millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, August 3rd. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a rare bacteria is found in Mississippi. We ask a doctor what residents should know. Then a look at public health in Mississippi with the former state health officer. Plus, we go beyond the Green Book, and today's history is lunch. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's usually found in tropical and subtropical climates, but an uncommon bacteria linked to melio, well, it's meliodosis, has been identified for the first time in the U.S. It's the result of a recent joint investigation between the Mississippi Department of Health and the Center for Disease Control. After two coastal residents got sick two years apart, soil samples from the patients' homes were taken and officials found the bacteria was present since 2020. Dr. Larry McDaniel with the University of Mississippi Medical Center shares more with our Rhonda Dunaway. However it got here, uh, it, you know, the conditions were right in, in that part of Mississippi at the time that it, uh, let's say, transplanted or, or mig- not migrated, um, such that how it got there, it, it was, you know, be- became established. Right. I mean, we don't know physically how it arrived. Uh, but the conditions were correct for it to, to grow. It's an environmental isolate, so you find it in soil and water. Um, but how it arrived there is something that, that we won't know. And along with that, um, how how is it that somebody would um, happen to get or more likely to contract? It, it, well, so it's going to be found in soil and water. And so... Anything that someone does to, in the water we're talking about here is like, uh, you know, uh, puddles or standing water or things of that nature, not, uh, not, not bodies of water so much. Um, and so anything that, that occurs that would disturb that, uh, so create um, like a, an aerosol that you could inhale, an individual could inhale. So, uh, you know, disturbing the dirt uh, or like a rainstorm something of that nature that that could uh, uh, disrupt that soil and and cause the organism to become airborne, Uh, you can inhale it. Uh, The other uh, way typically would occur is if an individual has breaks in the skin, cuts, nicks, scratches, things of that nature, and is in the soil or or contaminated water and comes in contact with the organism through those routes. So those are going to be the primary two routes. 
And what should someone do if they suspect that they might have this disease? Gee, well, obviously, if you, you're any any infectious process, you should consider uh, if, if it doesn't improve, um, you know, over a short period of time, then you should obviously seek medical attention. Um, and again, this is not something that people, in my opinion, I think should worry about uh, because I think there's plenty of other things that cause uh, pneumonia-like uh, or pneumonia diseases that uh, are most likely, more likely to be the cause. But, you know, physicians in the area or the region should at least be aware of the possibility. And um, how um, how often does this become a chronic issue? Does, does this bacterium cause any type of pneumonia or pneumatic um, chronic issues? Um, it, it has been associated in some cases, uh, probably most notably among Vietnam veterans, um, because, you know, again, those individuals had been in Southeast Asia, and some of them were exposed to the organism, and there is some chronicity associated with it. Um, if it's not, you know, diagnosed and treated, then it can uh, linger for some time, perhaps. Do you think that this that the growth of, you know, or the appearance or emergence of this bacteria is uh, something that could be associated with global warming, or maybe um, will we see more things like this emerging um, from the bacterium world? Um, I could personally say yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. In that, um, for this organism to have grown or propagated in uh, the region that it's now in, in, in the Gulf Coast region, the conditions have to be correct. So there has to be enough uh, water, moisture, humidity, uh, as well as temperature. And, and those things are potentially impacting, you know, around the world. And so um, I think that we are at a stage where we're beginning to see things emerge that we haven't previously seen um, in certain locations. And it's uh, probably more likely that other things may emerge or, or we may see uh, expansion or, or, or expansion is probably not the right word, but uh, essentially spread of, of other infectious uh, agents because of, of uh, changes in the climate. Dr. Larry McDaniel is a professor of cell and microbiology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Coming up, the third and final installment of our conversation with Dr. Thomas Dobbs examines the state of public health in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. 
We spent this week profiling Dr. Thomas Dobbs and his tenure as state health officer. We've looked back on the challenges of the coronavirus pandemic, the introduction of Mississippi's medical marijuana program, and the landmark Supreme Court case that now bears his name. In the third and final installment of our conversation, we examine the state of health care in Mississippi, beginning with the decades of disparity and path towards health equity. If we want to advance health outcomes, yes, we need to have health care. Yes, we need to have clinics that can treat people who have STDs. We need to have access to these services. But if people don't have foundational access to opportunity and prosperity, then health is going to lag. It's, 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 it's undeniable. Um, we live in a state with segregated schools, right? Just as an example, we live in a state with segregated neighborhoods. If we look at place-based segregation, place-based social determinants are one of the most important things that drive bad outcomes over time. And we don't have, we don't, we don't, not only do we not have equity, we don't have equality. Um, until we can have opportunity for all, a, a real robust, oppor- robust opportunity for success for all, we're going to see these problems. That's the core of um, the social determinants is everyone doesn't have the same opportunity to success. And I think unless you've walked in someone's shoes, and I think I've, I've had the opportunity to work with people who are um, under-resourced and more disadvantaged through most of my medical career and see the things like a lack of access to good education, um, the way that the criminal justice system um, negatively impacts uh, people who are in poverty or people of color. Um, it, it, these, are, these are things that are fixable, things that would make a huge difference, and those are the sorts of things that would be foundationally important to really drive us forward not only in health but also um, econo- economics and prosperity. Can we get there? Yeah, it just takes will, right? I mean, you know, other parts of the country, um, you know, certain communities um, are able to thrive, but it takes leadership. And even in Mississippi, there are pockets of where people can thrive and be successful, both in the school and community level. So I think there are lessons that we can learn and and translate to the state as a whole. Would you like to see universal health insurance coverage? I know the legislature uh, considered extending postpartum care from two months to 12 for new mothers, but it didn't survive. You know, we would benefit greatly, um, not only individually, but also the health system, if we were able to use the mechanisms available to us for, for health coverage. Everyone should have health, access to health coverage. Everybody needs access to health insurance. There's lots of ways to get there. Um, you know, some some folks um, you know, want to talk about straight-up Medicaid expansion. Some folks want to use other models that other states have used, other conservative states like Ohio and Arkansas have used. So we really need to look at all our options because we're denying ourselves of health opportunities. And also the, the, the health care system is under real duress right now. Hospitals are on the ropes. You saw Singing River is going through some financial problems. Um, and that's health- on the coast. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So um, it is an important issue, and there are the tools on the table to address it. We don't need to ignore it. What was your biggest challenge as state health officer? You know, one of the biggest challenges um, is, uh, is uh, I'm just going to say, is working through bureaucracy. You know, there's good things that can happen, but, you know, um, uh, there's a lot of bureaucratic processes to do stuff. One of the things that was kind of nice was, um, I think it's kind of nice, is during the uh, public health emergency, some of the bureaucratic processes were minimalized. So that's actually one of the frustrating things. I mean, some of it's inevitable, but I think we could do a better job um, with minimizing bureaucracy. That's one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping 
that we can uh, not have to deal with as much when I take on my new role. Well, I don't think you will. You're heading over to the University of Mississippi Medical Center to serve as associate professor uh, teaching epidemiology at the School of Population Health and School of Health-Related Professions. So you'll be grooming the next generation of epidemiologists. Will you be talking to them about the same issues that you want to see taken care of in Mississippi? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, fortunately, they've, they've um, taken me on as the dean of the School of Population Health. Congratulations. So to, yeah, no, thank you. That, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we have multiple missions um, from, uh, you know, education to research to, uh, you know, clinical service. And also um, where, where my office is, is community impact. And we have things like the um, Merle Ever Center, where we try to really make a difference in the community for folks who who need who need the sort of supports to achieve maximum health. So it's going to be a phenomenal opportunity. I'm, I'm really excited. And it's not ending. And I'll just mention this: we've got the first confirmed case of the monkeypox reported by the health department, and then um, bacteria meliodosis found on the coast. Uh, that made two people sick. Mm-hmm. So these new diseases keep coming. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, in a way, it, it it's not that surprising, right? I mean, this is something we've been seeing for a while. Remember West Nile and chikungunya and Zika. And, you know, in our modern world, we're under constant threat. It doesn't mean we need to panic. We just need to be prepared, right? So... We have tools, we have science, we have ways, but we're also in a very small global neighborhood, right? You can go anywhere. Diseases travel very quickly. We have an interface with people and animals, like with, with the monkeypox, but also with coronavirus, obviously, that, that are, are important. We just need to support public health and not panic, but prepare and, and respond um, using the tools that are available to us. And so um, it's not Armageddon. It's just business as usual, but we just got to make sure that we do what we got to do. Anything you want to say before we end this? Yeah, so it's been a phenomenal honor and a pleasure and a privilege to work. I'm I'm proud to have represented this Department of Health during the pandemic phase, but also with all of our other missions. I want to say that the Mississippi, I think, are great people. Um, I've had the opportunity of meeting some of those wonderful people in you know on on both sides of the aisle and in the middle of the aisle, right? So we have the resources, we have um, the capacity to make a difference. Um, we need to use um, our values of, um, you know, loving others as ourselves. And, and if we do that, and if we're not selfish, and if we consider the, the needs of others and the needs of our communities, we can make Mississippi the place that we all dream it could be. Dr. Thomas Dobbs, thank you so much for your commitment to public health in Mississippi and helping us do better and be wiser in taking care of ourselves. And thank you for what you've done throughout this COVID pandemic. And we wish you well moving on to your next venture. No, thank you, Desiree. It's great to chat with you. Dr. Thomas Dobb served as state health officer from 2018 to the end of July. He is succeeded by Dr. Dan Edney, who previously served as a regional health officer. Coming up, we go behind, or beyond, rather, the Green Book in Today's History is Lunch. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. My right ankle, it swells up. 
it goes away. Like, it can let me know to get off of it. Sometimes it has sharp pain. Sometimes it has no pain. It has no swelling. But it has been doing this for probably a year. I can pop it up at night, and it will basically almost go all the way down. But it has not been back to normal in a long time. Yeah, several different things that could be going on with that. It's a complex joint. All of your weight, when you're walking or running or anything like that, goes on that on the ankle and is transferred to your foot. But the movement of that ankle joint is very complex, and the bones uh, articulate. They move together in, in different ways. So you can have a, a, an old fracture that maybe didn't heal correctly that you didn't know about from an old injury. Or because all those bones, there's a ton of them that all come together, they're held together by ligaments. And if those ligaments are torn and don't heal properly, you can have a lot of problems with that. So I would recommend going to see an orthopedic surgeon about that. They're going to do a detailed exam. They're probably going to send you to a physical therapist. A physical therapist can help out tremendously. But what's happening when it swells up is it's getting re-injured. I mean, something is happening in there that, uh, and, and with the pain, too, that's probably due to ligaments more than anything else or something in that joint. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Overground Railroad is how cultural documentarian Candace Taylor refers to the Green Book and roots of black travel in America. Taylor is the curator and content specialist for an exhibition based on her book, Underground Railroad, that is touring the United States through the Smithsonian Institution Traveling Exhibition Service. It's currently on exhibit at the two Mississippi museums where Taylor is presenting during today's History is Lunch. Well, the Green Book was a life-saving guide. I mean, it really opened up the country to black Americans because these were largely white spaces that blacks had been shut out of um, historically. And um, and there were dangerous, uh, it, it was a risk to just jump in your car and get on the road. Um, but what the Green Book did was it brought, it was almost like a yellow pages for black businesses and black Americans. So if you got to the community where the barbershop was and the hotel and the restaurant, but also the department store and, you know, there were doctors in the Green Book, it was more than a travel guide. It was really a significant um, testament to black excellence in a way, because these were businesses, they were mostly black owned businesses that we created. Um, and that we maintained in these vibrant communities. So the exhibition really shows that and shows a lot of the life around, you know, people just walking and living their lives in these communities. But the Green Book would take you to that neighborhood, and then you could get pretty much anything you wanted or you needed 
and um, and feel comfortable and not, you know, be nervous about being turned away or 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 worse or you know being um, ostracized or or you know harassed or beaten. What made you decide to do this to research this particular subject matter? Well, I stumbled onto it by accident because I was commissioned to write a travel guide on Route 66. And I hadn't, um, you know, I didn't really have a connection to Route 66 other than that I had my first book, Counterculture, was on American Diner Waitresses. Um, so this was the first project I was commissioned to do. And I thought, well, I needed the money, so I did it. And once I started heavily looking at the history of Route 66 and realizing that 95, 90, probably 98 percent of all the major travel guides on Route 66 have been written by white males, and I'm the first black woman to do this, I thought, my gosh, I learned that half the counties on Route 66 were sundown towns. And for those who don't know, sundown towns were all white communities, and they banned black people from entering after dark, after 6 p.m. Some would have a sign saying, N-word, don't let the sun set on you here. Others would have a siren or a bell that would ring at six o'clock to alert the local laborers and the domestic folks to leave the town because they could not be there overnight. And I thought, well, half the counties on Route 66, there's 89 counties, about 44 of them were sundown towns. How in the world did black people travel? And I stumbled onto the Green Book. It was at the Autry Museum. I was living in L.A. at the time. And the Autry had a um, a, a black travel, a green book underneath, under glass, tucked away in a corner. And that was the beginning of the Eureka moment. And I thought, gosh, this is the project. <laughs> you know, Route 60, I'd finished the Route 66 book, but this was the project. So, yeah, that, and then I was off to the races. And this is just not the South. This is the entire nation. Well, the South gets such a bad rap um, for being the, you know, they're demonized for being the Jim Crow South, the signs colored and white. And and the truth is, you know, after writing Overground Railroad, it became so much more obvious to me that the North was um, even more egregious and um, insidious in its racism. Um, and I mean that because in the ways that there, there were underhanded tactics. There was redlining. There was urban renewal. There were all of these social and government forces at play that kept blacks and whites separated. Whereas in the South, it was just very, it was honest. It was, you know, here's the sign for this color. In your like, face. where you belong. Mm-hmm. It was in your face. It was honest. You, there was no question. But the problem when, you know, you've got this huge migration happening, right? I mean, the second wave of the Great Migration was underway when the Green Book was at its most popular years. And at that, in those decades, you've got 1.2, 1.5 million black people fleeing racial terror in the South. But yet they came to the North thinking that they would have all these opportunities. And there were jobs for the most part, but they were in the most segregated, most impoverished parts of the city, there was an incredible amount of danger um, surrounding, you know, if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and there was no way to really know um, until it was too late. So, you know, this is an American problem. This is not a Southern 
problem. Um, the South wasn't, you know, the bad guys. Um, it was everywhere. And it, there were different ways that you handled the same problem. And again, the Green Book was such an incredible gift, not just for people who wanted to take vacation, but also for those who were migrating north um, and didn't have the means or money for vacation because there were all of these tourist homes and places that were really affordable um, that, you know, you could stay in if you were traveling. Can Dacey Taylor is an award-winning author, photographer, and cultural documentarian, and she will be speaking at the Mississippi Department of Archives and Histories History as Lunch event Wednesday at noon. We thank you so much. Safe travels here. We know that you are on the road and very interesting. Your project sounds wonderful. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity and the interview, and I hope to see um, everybody who's listening who can make it. Um, thank you again. I really appreciate you doing this. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.